I guess I would name this message today, the final message in this series, Ain't Going Nowhere. I ain't going nowhere at all. Because there's something here. There's something that David lays out as he ends that whole psalm with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would you want to go anywhere else? So let's... um, Let's go through this. Um, Actually, if we could pull up this scripture, Psalms 23, let's start with verse 1, and we'll go through it real quick. Just a a quick overview. Psalms 23, verse 1, you prepare a table before me. Oh, there you go. That's it. Go ahead. Verse 1. There it is. The Lord is my shepherd. This is the decision that we make. This is the decision that David made. He goes, I, I, I choose to follow the shepherd. Sheep follow shepherds, especially if they're a good shepherd. Okay? Um, I put this, this uh, John chapter 10 in verse 14. It says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying this. He goes, I am the good shepherd. Now, see, Jesus came about 40 generations after David. And his bloodline goes back to David. And so he knew about this psalm because it was in the Old Testament scriptures. And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's the one that David talks about, okay? I know my sheep, they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. He's talking about not just life after death. He's talking about a fulfilled life here on earth. Jesus said, I come to give them life and life more abundantly. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me. He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So Jesus is this good shepherd that David talks about, and he reminds us of that in John chapter 10. And so let's go back here, and it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He he gives us places of rest, and he gives us a refreshing word and a a refreshing life. And when when there's problems in our lives, he says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you're able to drink of that clean water. Next verse. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. There's this, this divine drawing to doing the right thing to live righteously, to do the right thing by others, to do the right thing by our, by our lives and the way that we choose to live. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, there's times when you go through some challenging things, and this is, this is key right here. Sometimes when you're going through the dark season, sometimes you want to cut and run. Sometimes you think that maybe this isn't the good shepherd. Sometimes maybe you think that because you're going through that valley that maybe God's abandoned you, yet he's taking you to a place. And sometimes you go through that valley to get to the upper places where the pastures are greener. But you have to go through that place where it feels dark. It feels there's a lack of light. 
and you're in that dark valley. And some of you have come through that dark valley and God rescued you out of that. And so we can always remember that the Lord, as our shepherd, when we feel like everybody's abandoned us or God's abandoned us or we've failed one too many times and we feel like there's no recovery, that the Lord will lead you out of it every time. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod, that protective tool that warded off all of the the enemies that he would throw and distract those enemies or scare those enemies off, but also warn the sheep that if they see that rod drop, it's time to look around and see, is there an enemy close by? And God does that. Sometimes he wakes us up in our sleep. Sometimes he sends somebody to give us a message. Sometimes somebody interrupts the situation that we're going through because his rod and his staff are there. His staff is that... That, that cane that the shepherds would use to pull sheep out of the problem, but if he would just tap them, they would know the shepherd was close by and they would calm right down. Sometimes you just need to calm right down. And sometimes God will send somebody or send a situation into your life that just says, don't worry, I'm here. I'm here. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay today, but it's going to be okay. Next one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. He prepares us a table in the presence of our enemies. There's a, a table is a tabletop of a mountain where the, the, the pasture up there is all nice and green and fresh and alive, higher altitude, gets lots of dew, lots of moisture so that the grass stays nice and green. God is always preparing a place for you to feed. He's always giving you something to get food from. And in John, we read the passages where Jesus says, I know about a food that you don't know about because he's the good shepherd. And it was a food about doing God's will. And there's something about doing God's will that feeds you. But just because you're being fed and just because you're doing God's will doesn't mean the enemy isn't lurking around. And so he prepares a table. He prepares something for you to do. He prepares a way for you to use your gifts and your talents to make a difference in the kingdom and to spread God's goodness around. And in the presence of those enemies, the shepherd will lead you and guide you. But it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be challenges and it doesn't mean things aren't going to attack. It just means the good shepherd will lead you on. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. He helps you and calms you on the things that irritate you, just like a shepherd does with the sheep that have the bugs going up their nose. He would anoint them with oil and cause them to calm right down. Some of us get so anxious over different things. And we get so irritated with certain kinds of people. But when you spend time in the presence of God, he just causes that calm to come over you and just... Pull out those irritants out of your senses, out of your nostrils, out of your brain, out of your thought life, out of your earworms, the things that are going on in your head. I got an earworm the other day. I got a song stuck in my head that I didn't like, and it just kept going over and over again. I had to cast it out in Jesus' name. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. Let's stop right there. We haven't covered this one. Goodness and mercy. 
You see, all through this passage up until now, you're seeing this, this illustration of how much life David got out of following God through every season of his life. He went through some pretty dark stuff. Saul tried to kill him. I think I counted it one time over 20 times. And uh, so he got ambushed. He got spears thrown at him. He got, you know, all kinds of stuff. But David kept his eyes focused on the shepherd. And the shepherd kept leading him out of the trouble he'd get into and into the victories that he led him to. He saw some horrific things. Horrific things. He had to live in a cave with bandits and all kinds of people just so that he could escape his enemies. But the Lord directed him in all of it. And then he turned those enemies into a mighty army. It's powerful. And so we see this, this relationship between David and his master, his shepherd, his God. And not only did he see it as someone to follow, but he, he looked at, at the shepherd as somebody that protected him and that cared for him and that loved him. And then he goes on in the last verse here to talk about himself. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Me. Goodness and mercy shall follow me which leads us into you, everybody here. We went through this series so that we could get to this point where we could learn that when we follow the good shepherd, we leave behind goodness and mercy. So if we look at the sheep, we look at sheep. Sheep were also uh, nicknamed in the ancient days uh, the animals with the golden hooves. Because if, you br- if a, a good shepherd was managing the sheep, the sheep were moved from pasture to pasture, and they knew when to take them out of a pasture before they destroyed it or ate up the roots and destroyed the land. And so if a, if a bad shepherd came, they never got good pasture land to feed in in the first place. But when they would go into somebody's property or they would go into a pasture, they would leave them there for way beyond the time that they should be there. And they would eat everything down to the roots so that it wouldn't grow back fully the following year. And so there would be shepherds that would be cursed because they, one, they didn't take care of the flock And so that meant they didn't take care of the pastures. And so people didn't want them to cross onto their land. But a good shepherd managed the sheep well, and they would eat well, but they would leave before it was all gone. And so, but when they were there, they would leave behind these little pellets. They'd drop and fertilize all over that pasture as they were eating They're eating and depositing fertilizer all over the place. And so every place that a good shepherd would lead his sheep, they left behind some goodness and some mercy. (laughs) So today I would like to show you how to poop in Jesus' name. 
And the way that we do that is that when we follow after the good shepherd, we leave behind goodness and mercy. It follows us, okay? It's, it's something that we leave behind. And so as we're going through these fields, we're leaving a deposit that causes future growth. Are you following me? Now, unfortunately, sometimes the way that people see Christianity is they see it as, as just a religion. And even though it is a religion, it's more than that. It's a relationship. And that relationship with the master produces a byproduct. Okay? Now, there's a difference between a byproduct and a goal. Let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. Which ones did I miss? Faithfulness. And I'm, there's many more. There's just nine listed in that one passage in Galatians. But there's a fruit that comes as a byproduct of following the shepherd. But the fruit of the Spirit is not a goal. We don't have a goal to be kind. You can have a goal. It doesn't hurt anything to have a goal to be kind or to be, be gentle or good. It's okay to have a goal. But when it's a goal, it doesn't have any root. It becomes an event. It becomes an accomplishment. But when you're following the good shepherd and your spirit is being molded, and your mind is being renewed, and your emotions are held with self-control, because you're following the good shepherd, all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit becomes a byproduct. You see what I'm saying? Sheep do not eat grass so they can leave pellets. The pellets are a byproduct of them eating the grass that the shepherd has brought them to. Are you, are you catching it? Okay, so for us as, as, as people that are following after God or those of us that are looking at doing so, those of you that are watching online right now, if you're looking into Christianity or looking into the things of God, then what I would say to you is as you're looking into it, you start to hear some things and you start hearing messages or songs and you hear prayers and, and you hear things that like move you and grab a hold of you, and, and enlighten you, and give you hope, and give you strength, and give you motivation, and gives you correction, and maybe even rebuke at times. And then all of a sudden, there's something in you that is shaped. And it's like these people that are about to get baptized in a, in a few minutes here. There is something that is happening with them, and the fruit is the baptism. Baptism is not the goal. Baptism is a byproduct of a change that's going on on the inside. It's a public declaration of something that happened on the inside in your heart and your mind and your emotions and all of your soul. And so, so goodness and mercy are byproducts of us following the good shepherd. Does that make sense? So let's look at this word goodness and mercy. And uh, 
I have a definition for goodness is to do a good thing, working to benefit the welfare of others, okay? To do something good that benefits the welfare of others. Now, keep this in mind. This goodness, as described here in the Hebrew context, would say that goodness is something that you do not because you feel sorry for somebody, but you're divinely moved. You're divinely moved. You're not doing it because they deserve it. You're not doing it because they're family only. You're doing it because you feel moved to do the right thing. Mercy is very similar. Mercy oftentimes is towards people who have gotten themselves in a real mess. Mercy is often the result of somebody making a real mess for somebody else. And so mercy is described like this. Loving kindness out of devotion to God, we do acts of mercy and goodness. It's one of the fruits that comes from following the good shepherd. And so there's this, out of devotion to God, there is a byproduct that says, this is not right that this is happening to this person. I'm going to do this right here. When it comes to mercy itself, it's different than goodness in this one main way. Goodness is something that you do. It's like constructing something or building something or doing something for somebody because you care about the individual and because you feel like it's your job that God has given you, has moved you to go do it. Okay, so you go do it. And, uh, but mercy is, is a little bit different. Mercy is one of those things that you can see that by doing this, it's not going to change their situation. But it's going to pain, lift pain for a moment. It's going to bring maybe some hope. It's going to bring some love. But it's probably not going to change anything. But it may keep them in the game long enough to make the next right to good decision. And sometimes I think that in our boundaries, in the understanding of tough love, sometimes we don't leave room for mercy. You know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes in our relationships, we have to put a firm boundary down. And we have to say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that for you. Because if I do that, it's not going to help you. It's actually going to hurt you because I'm enabling you to continue in your behavior. But it's okay to give a cup of water. It's okay to give a sleeping bag. It's, it's okay to give them a cup of coffee. It's okay to put them on the bus. Not because it's going to help them, but because it's going to relieve some tension because you have an act of mercy. Are you seeing the difference? Okay, goodness operates in the thing as this will help you move forward. Mercy is, I'm gonna lift some pain. I'm going, I'm going to soothe, I'm gonna rub some oil on that right now. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. I'm gonna just sit here with you for a while and just talk with you because everybody needs to be noticed and everybody needs to be seen and everybody needs to be loved. Are you following me? So these kinds of things 
should follow us, okay? It followed Jesus because he said that in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, or it says about him that you know how Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good and healing all. So if he is our good shepherd, then we follow him in doing good and healing all. And when we say we follow him, we are so devoted, we take the time to do our devos, if you will, or we come to church and we do our worship, and we come to church and we pray together, and we come to church and we hear the word together, and we do all these things together, and the byproduct of that is that our heart opens up, and we become open and ready to respond when Jesus says, that's the guy for you right there. You got to go talk to him. I wasn't talking about a spouse or like a date or anything. I'm talking about that's the person. That's, that's the young lady that I, I want to direct you to. That's the situation I want you to fix. That's the thing I want you to solve. That's the problem that I want you to have a vision to correct. And when he moves you that way, it's because it's a byproduct of you having a devotion to him. Okay? So let's look a little bit more at this. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, um, there's a, a real, a, a great uh, description of this when it comes to the believer. And Paul describes it in a really cool way. Before I read that, this passage, I, I, I'm reminded of a guy that I know that passed away a number of years ago. His name was Lou Tice, a great mentor of mine. And um, before he died, he was a very influential man, had uh, a lot of effect on uh, police departments and universities and professional athletes and teaching them how to move past their, the ceiling of their lives. And, um, and he was Pete Carroll's personal mentor and uh, just a really great guy. Anyway, I was asking him about his faith one day and he said, Steve, you know, um, when I was about 30 years old, a lady said to me, you sound like you may be a Christian. Are you a Christian? And he goes, I'm so sorry you had to ask me that. I think maybe I've told you that story. He went home and he started thinking about it. He said, man, Lord, my light must not be shining in a way that makes it obvious that I'm following you. And for three days, he was depressed. And he was just thinking about that. What, what? I thought I was really living in a way that shined a light. And that's where he got this idea. He got a mission statement. He started writing a mission statement for his life, a spiritual mission statement for his life. And it went like this. I live to create a Christ-like environment everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. A Christ-like environment. Guys, let me tell you something. When you have a mission like that, to create a Christ-like environment everywhere you go, out of a devotion to the good shepherd, I'm telling you, beautiful things take place. And this thing, this guy changed so many people's lives in ways that the church would never, ever do because he was out there in the secular world making a difference and shining his light everywhere he went. In Romans chapter 12, and verse 9, it kind of gives you this mission statement. It says, don't just pretend to love 
others, really love them, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, take delight in honoring one another, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to righteous anger of God. For the the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I I will pay them back. It's interesting, that, that phrase. I've always wondered about that. Righteous anger. Anger with the right spirit. Think about that. Anger with the right spirit. I will repay, says the Lord. How does God repay? Gives him a little extra love. Gives him a little extra care. Gives him a little extra attention and draws him away from that, that, that space. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. This is how he does it. Feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. There's your goodness right there. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Now, when we... Start following the good shepherd. Goodness and mercy become a byproduct. I don't even need to tell you how to do it. I don't have to suggest that you do this or do that. I don't have to say a thing. All I have to do is connect you to the good shepherd. And if you'll be devoted to him, he will highlight things in sermons, highlight things when people pray for you, highlight things from strangers, people on the bus, people down the street, from your own kids, from your parents, from everybody. Everywhere you go, you start hearing things from the Lord through other people, and you start seeing things in church, you start seeing things in your own private devotions and all kinds of stuff that prompt you to get engaged and to do something, to reach somebody or to build something or to create something. Or when you're walking down the road, you see somebody, and man, you've seen five homeless people in a row, and then that fifth one or that sixth one, all of a sudden something says to you, go sit with that guy. Go offer him your sandwich. And the Holy Spirit begins to move. And you know it's him because it wasn't a goal. It was a heart that came from following the good shepherd. Make sense? Okay, so let's look at this next, this last verse. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this, this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord It means to abide. The word dwell means to abide, to convene, to dwell, to be a dweller. It's uh, 
uh, there's a lot, look at all these words up there. Married, place, remaining, settled, sitting down, staying, take a seat. Sit in it. Get involved with the house of the Lord. What is the house of the Lord? A lot of people would say it's the church. Well, the church is part of it. But the house is described as a household. It's like the household of God. It's the family of God. So if I go to Ghana and I go to one of the churches there, I can meet other fellow believers that are all in the household of God. The household of God is global. The household of God goes to every village. It goes to every, every country. It goes into the places that it's, it's not even supposed to be in. In China, there are more Christians in China, and it, the, the church in China is growing faster than any other place in the world. It's amazing. And so even though there may be some conflicts that we have with and, and conflicted interests with China, there's believers there like crazy. Same thing with Iran. Right now, there's, there's all kinds of persecution going in Iran, but the church is thriving. It's growing. It's underground, but it's growing. It's spreading. And it, it, it's unbelievable. And, but that's all part of the household that you're about to be a part of if you're getting baptized today. When people get baptized in water, they're not just coming down and burying the old man or the old woman. They are being baptized into the family of God, the household of God. That includes this church, but it includes any other church that's in this place. It's all part of the household of God. And David is saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that, that piece of the equation is so powerful because I started thinking about this, that there are so many things that we have in common. When you're a part of the household of God, there's this common union that we have, that we follow Jesus and we yield to him. No matter where you are in the world, if you meet a Christian, we know that we have this one thing in common is we follow Jesus. We also know that, that we have this common goodness and mercy, that we practice goodness and mercy everywhere we go. This is just something that we do. It's something they do in China. It's something they do in the Philippines. It's something they do in Mexico. It's something they do in Ghana. It's something that they do in Iraq and Iran and everywhere you go. The Christians are practicing these things, and we have that in common with them. We have a common language of Scripture, a common language of healing, a common language of hope. When you're a part of and baptized into the family of God, there's a common rules for life. We love our enemies. We do good to those that despitefully use us. We forgive 70 times 7. We honor our father and mother. We judge not, and we don't repay evil for evil. This is what we have in common, not just in this church, but around the world. Globally, the house of the Lord is the place that I will drive, or dr drive, it will be the place that I live forever. This is the place that I will live. Common sacred rhythms that we have. We, prayer, the Lord's prayer, the Lord's day, the communion, Sabbath, all the things that we have on a common sacred rhythm. Common name, Jesus. We are all united under that name of Jesus, underneath the Christ-likeness of God. We have a common hope. We believe that God redeems everything. All things work together. We believe in eternal life. This is what we have in common all over the globe. This is the family of God. This is what we're a part of. We have this common care, one for another. The Bible tells us to care one for another. 
uh, pray for one another, forgive one another, uh, feed one another, meet the needs of one another. Constant, common care. There's a common mission. We have a desire to bring the gospel to the lost. All over the world, people are doing that. We have this common beliefs in Jesus. And he said, follow him. And so we do this. And this puts us into the house of the Lord. So as we get baptized today, in these next few minutes, as you're watching these baptisms, they're going down the old person. They're burying the old person that had themselves or something else as God. And they're laying down the old ways and they're being resurrected into newness of life. They're, they're coming into a place where they're being baptized into the household of God. And why would you ever want to leave that? Why would you ever want to leave the household of God where peacemaking is, is high priority, not judging is high priority, including those that are different than you, including those that live differently than you, is all part of the mandate of following after Jesus. Why would you want to leave that? Why would you want to leave a household that has a protective covering over it? Why would you want to leave the household of God when you're working hard to heal and to bring hope and to restore and to redeem and to strengthen families and to strengthen relationships and to strengthen a bond with God? I don't think we do. We're part of something global. We're part of something universal. We're part of something that's eternal. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not just in this life, but eternal life. And that's why we are so committed to our young people. 18% of the people that join the household of God, I mean, I'm sorry, 85% of the young, of the people that give their lives to God and join the household of God are under the age of 18. 85%, that's a lot. And you're gonna witness that today. Not just those that are under 18, but you're gonna witness people who are giving their lives to Jesus and they're being baptized into your household, into the household of God. So as we conclude this Table in the Wilderness series, I want to encourage you, stick with it. Stick with it. There is nothing that even compares to the household of God. And David said, I will dwell in this house forever and ever. And Jesus said, I'll be your good shepherd and I'll lead you and guide you. We are in challenging times as a country and as a globe, but God will lead us and guide us and direct us. It won't be a president. It won't be a global leader. It will be Jesus. It'll be Jesus that saves. He saves the soul, and when he saves the soul, he changes an environment, and when the environments change, things happen. Let's pray. Lord, as we go into these baptisms, we pray 
that you would welcome each person into the household of God. We pray, God, that you would cleanse them from the old and bring them up new. We pray, God, that you would, um, that you would speak to their souls as they go down under the water and that they would come up brand new. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.